Welcome to Inspired Insights, where we share our conversations with industry experts as we give insight into workforce trends and changes impacting HR and financial professionals. We will cover everything from employee engagement to compliance and regulations impacting your workforce success. Welcome to the Inspired Insights podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gorman. I'm a sales and marketing professional with over 20 years of experience in the human capital management industry. And I'm here with my good friend and partner in crime, Jeff McEwen. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, I'm Jeff, and I've been uh, doing HR management in one form or another since 99. Small companies, big companies, healthcare, hospitality, manufacturing, and currently remediation, which is a new industry for me. So yeah, happy to be here and uh, looking forward to talking to our guest. Very cool. Well, this is our first recording here in 2023. So happy new year to everyone out there, but excited to bring Tate Linden onto the uh, program today. Tate is uh, an organizational integrity consultant focusing on providing structural integrity for mission-driven organizations so that they can withstand the very specific loads their organization encounters. He's also the creator of Linden's Integrity Lens, the groundbreaking sociological theory and tool set that is the foundation for all of Stokefire's work. Tate began developing the theory in 2008 while leading his award-winning strategic agency. His work increases capacity for organizations of all sizes and is credited with billions in new funding for clients like Google, DARPA, Meals on Wheels America, and the entire North American concrete industry. Welcome, Tate, to the Inspired Insights program. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Good to meet both of you. We're excited to have you on the show and very impressive uh, background and, and really wanted to kind of start the, the show by, you know, asking you, you've been doing this for, for years, right? And in that time, have you found one organizational value that you've run into really more than any other? Well, the answer is yes, <laughs> particularly in organizations where it's got no chance of being true. And any guesses what it might be? Hmm. Uh, value that they don't hold true, right? But that, they, the, but that everybody asking? claims, yeah. Thanks. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> great that question. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm such a cynic. I'm thinking like honesty, integrity. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> really, that's it? All right. Integrity. So <laughs> integrity. as a guy who makes his living helping organizations establish structural integrity, uh, this is a pretty disheartening mm. thing for me. Mm. But before I get to that, Other consultancies have also done a bunch of work in this space trying to figure out what people claim. So in addition to integrity, I do see a lot and and others see a lot. You got teamwork, customer focus, excellence, respect. There's all sorts of problems with this stuff that shows up on just about everyone's printed value lists. But I, I think one of the biggest is that these things just aren't true. Now I haven't checked for a few years, but but the last time I looked, over half of Fortune 500 companies claimed integrity as a value, which is astounding to me. A couple decades back, the number seven company on the Fortune 500 list published their values in their annual report, had them written on their walls. They were integrity, respect, excellence. That company was Enron. <laughs> so, so if you've got if you've got folks who listen to this who are millennials, they might not know about Enron, but. Mm-hmm. For those that aren't old enough, Enron falsified their earnings. They trying to increase their stock price. Big scandal led to the biggest bankruptcy in history at the time. Uh, since then, I think there's been uh, what, eight 
seven or eight companies that that have been bigger bankruptcies and scandals. But of those, half of those companies also claimed integrity as a value. So it's just a huge disconnect. You've got people putting this stuff out there, manipulating stock prices while also claiming, hey, everything here is above board. We're committed to it. It's all about being good. But the people who work at the companies know better. It's horrible for the company cultures. So for the moment, not mm. that I personally believe this, but let me just ask, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Is it possible that some of that is just a lack of understanding of what integrity really means? You think maybe they're holding to what they thought it meant or no, it just was total whitewashing. So, well, I think there's, there is some of that. I have, I, I do spend a lot of time talking with folks and, and asking questions of organizations that say integrity is a core value. Yes, if you sit the executives down and ask them to write down what integrity means in their organization, you get 10 executives, you will have like 15 to 20 different definitions that come out of it. <laughs> okay. So yes, that's a problem because it's not, everybody thinks of it, it's like people who ascribe to my value set have integrity, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we all, we define it for ourselves. So yes, that's a struggle. I think in most organizations that I've encountered, the organizations themselves likely choose it with good intention. It's just nobody does the work of defining it specifically for that organization mm-hmm. and then applying it top to bottom in the organization and saying, okay, we believe in integrity. This is how integrity integrity impacts the benefits package that we offer and why we offer those mm-hmm. things. This mm-hmm. is how it impacts our sales process and why we approach it in this way. Our pricing, everything in that organization needs to be linked to the value set. Integrity in particular, because integrity, mm-hmm. I don't have the dictionary in front of me, but it, it, mm-hmm. it, among the reasons, it's like whole, not missing any pieces, operating efficiently, healthy. You get all of this stuff, and then you look at the organizations that claim it, and they're just a mess. <laughs> anyway. You, you gave us the throwback reference to Enron, which then mm-hmm. in my old brain took me back to the movie Wall Street and the classic mm-hmm. quote from Gordon Gecko, the character Gordon Gecko, when he says that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Mm-hmm. And then and then and then goes into why. And, and so it all just came into how did you do how did you define it? And so I thought that when we were getting ready to talk with you today about values, I thought how much of the problem revolves around the definition? Mm. Yeah, yeah. A huge amount of it. Um, <laughs> I, I think it, it is the start of the problems. You you can't create programs that embrace it if nobody can agree on what it is. Mm. It's a that's an excellent that's a point. good way to put it. Yeah. Mm. So take going back to Enron. Enron had they had company values right, and they they clearly didn't didn't do much for them. But why have organizational values at all then? You know, why would an organization want to have them? And then the follow up to that would be, you know, what are they supposed to to do for us? Yeah. So value sets, whatever they are, integrity, respect, excellence, innovation, whatever it is, they can do amazing things. A, a few of the big ones, they can attract employees who believe in that stuff, who, who find that important. And if you do those things, if they're real, it gets them to stay. Same goes for your customers. If people can see themselves in your real world values, 
they are incredibly loyal as employees, as investors, as funders, board members, everybody. If they cannot see sort of their idealized selves in the organization that you have, they will never leave. So that's one. Uh, if you're mission driven, which is personally my organization will only work with mission driven organizations, a value set keeps you on the path to mission fulfillment. So if you think you're, of your organization as a bridge that takes you from wherever you were to wherever you want to be, that, that being your mission, your vision, your values are like the guardrails that make sure you don't take a hard right halfway across the bridge. They are mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. to make sure you're going to get where you want to go. Mm. I think the most important, though, is that values, when fully load tested and, and applied across the organization and all of those different programs, it helps everyone at the organization figure out what the right thing to do is in almost every situation, how you hire, how, how you onboard new employees, manage performance, run your meetings, whatever benefits you offer, whether and how, I know that this is something that, that's becoming more and more of an issue, whether and how you establish and run your diversity and inclusion programs. It's all values driven, all of it. Mm. And when you don't do that, when you claim values that clearly aren't aligned with the way that you run your business, you'll find yourself losing employees, clients abandon you, morale drops. It might not happen on day one, but it absolutely will happen. Mm. So a strange question just popped into my head then. Mm -hmm. Would you be better off to not espouse? values that you're not going to adhere to rather well, than list the ones you really would, even if they're mediocre, right? Would you just be better off to not even say what, what they were? So that, this is something that I talk to with organizations regularly. Um, I feel what you're saying there. Yeah. It, your values, there are reasons and places to share your values. I actually believe that your advertising is not a great one. But, but rec recruiting. Are you listening, Subaru? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's with particular kinds of value sets, it's not good. If your value set is unique, powerful, provable, you are doing something that no one else in your market is doing or, or going to lengths that nobody else is doing, that is something you communicate. But you don't talk about this is our, these are our values. You talk about what it is that your values have compelled you to do. All right, good on you, Subaru. You're back okay. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so, but it needs to be, it needs to be astounding, amazing, impactful. Mm. If, if mm -hmm. it's just, we, we have taxes it, on time. Yes. But <laughs> if it's, if it's just, we're honest. <laughs> and we'll probably get to this in a little bit, but if it's just saying honesty is a core value, look, if that is your core value, if your bar is that low, why are you bragging about it? I mean, I mean, we, we should, we should assume, we should be able to assume that you're not going to hire people to represent your organization who lie. So don't shout your values show them, prove them. Mm. 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 So Tate, what, what do companies have in place that, that do this well? 
you know what well, i'm just thinking how i mean for example we have you know i'm looking at my computer here and we have our values listed out as a background to our our computers right on the on the screen there so we can see them every day we know what they are is it as simple as that is making them visible so employees can see what they are and kind of live those out i mean do people have the regular meetings around them and discuss them or, you know, what have, what are some best practices maybe you've seen that organizations are like, Hey, they're doing this right. Mm, good. Well, so making them visible is a good first step. So having them on your computer screen, I know a lot of companies, as soon as they set their values, they plaster the walls with posters, inspirational posters, stuff like that, showing, showing them. And yes, it's it's a first step. The, the The issue is that organizations stop at that oftentimes. It's like, this is what you should find important. But if they're important, they should be a large part of performance reviews at the organization, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, and not just reviewing the people, you know, the individual contributors, not just having the boss review and evaluate the performance of the people who report to them, but asking the people who report to them, uh, I guess, directly saying, okay, are you seeing these qualities from me? Mm. Am I seeing so a 360 kind of mm -hmm. review? And also just from the organization as a whole, having everyone at the organization asking and answering am I seeing these values permeated throughout the organization? And if I'm not, where, where are the gaps so that we can fill them? Great. And, and that sort mm -hmm. of ties in. So if you launch your values and you do this process, even if you only start with the posters on the wall, if you bring this into your performance reviews and you ask these questions in that process, mm. you will find yourself being pushed internally to start implementing, making changes to the way that you operate to make this thing real. But mm -hmm. if you never ask the question, you never get beyond the poster. And, and so that can be really damaging. And mm -hmm. I, I have been around prior to getting into what I'm doing now, I've been within organizations. Let's see if I can lightly fictionalize something so that it doesn't <laughs> get me in trouble. But let's say there is a pizza delivery service that delivers to specifically hazardous areas like offices that are in hazmat zones okay and the organization touts all of our people are number one they're our biggest concern it's all about supporting our people and they bring me in and as part of my process i say hey can you get me all of your benefits information your your employee handbooks and I start reading through it and like buried halfway through the, the benefits handbook, it says, we have this incredible healthcare program. You have to work here for a year before you're eligible. <laughs> and the impact of, of that decision, which was, which they acknowledge was a cost saving decision, <laughs> completely invalidates everything they say in their recruiting, their hiring <laughs> process, and so they did it about seven years before I, they made that decision seven years before I came in. And one of the things they asked me to, to figure out is why is everybody in our organization, they've either been here for about eight years or they're here for less than six months. And there's like seven people <laughs> at this massive organization that have stuck with it. 
when you are, they're so used to saying all this stuff to the people who have mm -hmm. been there forever, there's like nothing has changed. Why mm -hmm. aren't people staying? They're not even paying attention to the fact that they abandon their values for anyone that isn't par already part of the club. So the value, the value wasn't people, it was tenure. Yeah, it turned into that. Yeah. 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 Well, so that, that's interesting because, you know, intuitively it seems like some values are going to have more impact because of the terms. So precision might feel more powerful than competence or saying we value people rather than tenure sounds a lot more humane. Mm -hmm. So do you find that there are different kinds of values that can explain that or that, that maybe, you know, they should be pulling those words from a different pool? Well, yes, I think this, this whole idea that where, where this kind of stuff, leaders tend to think that all values do come from the same pool. They're equal when they're not. And it causes some of the biggest problems because there, there are multiple kinds, at least four different kinds of values that are in play here. And each one is used differently. I, I think the, the most obvious one is a genuine core value. This is like a deeply ingrained a principle that guides everything your organization says and does. These are the things that tend to come from the original founders of the organization, something that's deeply meaningful for them. And it's so important that as they are setting up the company, they sort of infuse this into everything without necessarily even thinking about it. This is how we do things. Like, And I don't remember a lot of specifics about it, but I remember growing up hearing about the HP way, Hewlett Packard, that's still there. Like this is how they, it's how they operate. So it's a reflection of, of the founding group. But and I'm, I'm glad you just said that though, without even thinking about it, because as you started to talk about this answer, that was my first thought was how you may hold values and be ingraining them. You don't even realize you've never mm -hmm. either had someone pointed mm -hmm. out to you or done a really yeah. deep dive of self-analysis. So I'm glad to hear that you just said that, that yeah. some of the, the more, the most deeply held values probably don't make the list. Yeah. And so sometimes they're stated, sometimes they're not. There's a, a slight change on this, a different perspective on it. Generally not something the founder brings in, but that happens otherwise evolutionary values. So these are not things that you're consciously doing or trying to put into the organization, but they happen based on the people you hire, the culture that's created by them and, and the leaders. And it can be good or bad. So it could be great, like if you're team has this reputation for it. it doesn't matter what the problem is we're gonna we have it we're, we're gonna handle this we've got it even though it's not a written value it's just every time a new problem is up it's how are we going to fix it because we're absolutely going to which is healthy but there's also uh, I, i've had clients that had a turnover problems that were so bad that people at the organization stopped treating them as like when talking about them, they, they dehumanized them. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't say one of the words they called them, but worse <laughs> than calling them fresh meat, excrement, basically. Just mm -hmm. saying nobody who ever applies is, is above excrement. Mm -hmm. just, they're all bleepy. Mm, wow. <laughs> and other things can happen where you have an evolutionary value. It can be something like just everybody who's hired fits a particular mold. Like they've got a particular attitude, a way they dress, a way they look. It could even involve race, gender. It's not written down, but mm -hmm. it becomes it becomes a value. This is who we are. And then the other the other two both get into trouble in different ways. The other two values, aspirational values, 
Like, I actually think that integrity, when organizations are using it, it's more in an aspirational sense. We mm. aim, we aim to be this, mm -hmm. but they don't say that. So when they say integrity is a core value or integrity is our main focus, when they miss, when their entire culture is based on exploitation, whatever it is that's happening, it's very apparent or it comes across as they're lying which destroys mm -hmm. the whole concept of in integrity in the first place. Mm -hmm. So unless an organization makes clear that it's an aspiration, we aim to do this, it damages the company it, and, and it destroys morale. When your organization is out there saying this and the employees are sitting at their desk going, they promised us raises, which we didn't get. Mm -hmm. They said we have unlimited vacation and I was just told I can't have any for the next three months. Whatever it is, your your employees always know, almost always know, and your clients usually figure it out. And then the last one, and this is one that's really, really annoying, and I hinted at this before, choosing minimum viable values. So if if you think about what if you have if you didn't have a particular quality, say honesty, if somebody in a workforce for one of your competitors did not exhibit this quality, would they still be employable? If everybody in your industry would fire somebody for dishonesty, why are you proudly proclaiming it as something that you have? So minimum viable basically means it should be assumed by everybody that we're honest, we're trustworthy, we're transparent, we're good at what we do. Just stating that quality is important, customer service is important, is a minimum viable value. Mm. What you need, if you're going to do this, if you're going to say something that's kind of ridiculous, we're honest, we believe in customer support, of course you do. The only way this really works is to change it from a minimum viable value into something that is astronomical. Zappos was really good at this back in the day. I don't know if you remember, maybe 15, 20 years back, whether you ordered something through a catalog, online, in a store, if you wanted to return it, you had to ship it somewhere other than the store at your own cost, pay a restocking fee, and even then, they might not take it back. Hmm. Zappos was the first major brand that went out and said, it's on us. Don't like it? Fine. Even if you wore it three, four times, fine. Send it back. Our cost, no restocking fee. Get something else you know you like. And that was unheard of at the time. Mm -hmm. And and completely changed the culture, made it, made it so that you couldn't do it. Certainly as an online organization, you could not do that anymore. You couldn't put make people go through all of these hoops. And uh, it wasn't particularly PC the way they do it. They would talk about, and I can't remember the terminology they use, something to the effect of insane levels of customer service. Mm -hmm. And and I, this might be apocryphal, but I have heard stories about people at these organizations, the, the most people who went above and beyond, again, not the most sensitive way to deal with this, would be given straight jackets because of their crazy levels of service. Mm. So maybe not scoring very high <laughs> on the inclusion <laughs> and sensitivity part, but- It was all pre-mental health awareness. Yes, that. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so keep... do you do you offer it maybe through your service and and I know our intent here isn't to sell things, but just so people know that you're available or others in your field. Do you do assessments then or how do you help a company mm-hmm. find out what are their value? Not what do you say they are, what are your not your aspirational, like you said. Yeah. But how do you know what they really are? Mm-hmm. So yes, we do we do offer assessments. We started out as that was the only thing that we did, uh, we learned pretty darn quickly that organizational leaders tend not to like hearing about how all of the things, they don't necessarily want to have everybody know all of the areas their organization is screwing things up. And that's kind of what our <laughs> assessments do. Mm-hmm. They they find the disconnects between your your purported, your stated values and beliefs, the stuff that you say, and the stuff that you do. And so we've got this incredible tool that finds these disconnects. It can also it also establishes where things are in alignment, but the stuff that really jumps out is are the inconsistencies. So that mm-hmm. assessment uh, thus far j- invariably means you've got a lot of work to do as an executive as as a senior mm-hmm. leader and and if you don't have a solid relationship with your team and you trust each other having it's the emperor's new clothes it's suddenly all of you are standing naked in front of each other going uh what do we do now that we're we realize we've missed stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, it 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 helps you see things that are supposed to be invisible um so yes we offer it because of the resistance to that very situation we have we while you still can get it we don't promote that as something that that's as a standalone because there is always more work and we want to make sure that stuff gets done. So we have a system that we bring in place to help organizations build structure and integrity where we start with an assessment, but we don't bash you over the head with it at the start. We start with it we, and then we bring in some best practices for this is how you bring your values into your organization. And then a year later, we do an assessment and that's where we come in with really heavy levels of detail and say, okay, so here's where you were a year ago. Here is how things have improved. And that's a mm-hmm. conversation that executives can get behind. Mm-hmm. It's give us a chance to actually do this right and then help us see the progress. Okay. Because it it is overwhelmingly an overwhelmingly intense situation when you're given that 30 page report of all the ways stuff's going wrong. Mm, sure. It, it can feel hopeless. So sure. rather than focus there, we focus on look at what you've done. So you said that you, you just gave that picture of the, the leadership group all standing around realizing, yeah. you know, where mm-hmm. things are, but that this is something that probably needs a leader. So who in the organization mm-hmm. really should be the one that, that yeah. drives the value discussion? Well, one of the, it's a frustrating thing for me and I'm I'm on an HR podcast, so so I, <laughs> yes, I, that is the right answer, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I might I, I might end up getting some hate mail from this. So I've seen HR tasks with this a <laughs> the lot. The opinions of Tate London do not necessarily yes. represent <laughs> the opinions of this show. Yeah, thank you, True Pay. <laughs> <laughs> so. HR is incredibly valuable. If an organization, there, there are benefits to giving this to HR. It's incredible for a current employee engagement. If you are feeling like your your employees are disengaged, don't see themselves in the organization, 
this is a tool. If you give it to HR, this can kind of bring people together, make them feel heard. The challenge is that HR does not have the power to do a whole bunch of stuff that's necessary to make these value. Whenever they come up with, if they have a contest, they vote on it, people, working groups, whatever that is, HR can't execute on it. It's an operational issue and uh, it's a senior executive issue. So the first thing is giving it to HR means they've got to delegate upwards in order to get the policies changed mm. and the practices changed, the way you run meetings. the way, And so they could probably handle the hiring and the onboarding side of things, which, which it needs to be done. But the actual here is how our finance teams run, how we negotiate our contracts, all of that stuff, that's HR can't touch it. Mm-hmm. Also, if the CEO, COO, if the C-suite does not embrace these values as their own, like deep, feel deeply, it's not going to work. They're not going to care about it. They're not going to push it. And so it's like it, they're shoving it down to, they shove it down to HR because they don't feel it themselves. They don't have that passion inside of themselves. Mm. So my view, so if the goal is to create engagement, HR is the right place. If if the goal is to have a deeply in, implemented strategy that differentiates your organization and creates strategic opportunity for the organization and its leaders to actually get to the uh, mission fulfillment, it's got to be in the C-suite. Okay. Now, there are ways to do this that in, that deeply involve the HR group and the employees. And and it's my belief is that that's a step you need to take, but it's time consuming. What you need to do is give employees, likely through HR, the ability to be heard. And when you are establishing the values, so, so when that value set is coming out, being able to link back to the views that you heard from the organization. We we ask, and I'll see if I can remember the three things that we think are critical. Step one, what are individually, what are the, the driving values for the people who work for your organization themselves? So asking them and the way we do it, we have a list of 80-ish values. We put in front of them and we say, which of these do you believe represent your driving values? Then we ask, for your organization on a daily basis when you're in your office doing your job, what do you see as reflected back at you from the organization? What values are present guiding the stuff that you do you see each day in the office coming to you, not being emanated from you? And then the last one is connecting with the mission of the organization that if if you were to, to develop an organization to hit this mission, to, to achieve it, what values do you believe you would rely on to get there? And we'd have the same the same 80-ish values pulled together for those things. What that does is it almost creates a, a loose roadmap for the executive team to make their decisions. And because when we're asking these questions, I think we say it's like eight to 10 values that we're, we're wanting from each of them. We bring those all together and it allows the executives to understand sort of the direction that the organization itself and the people who work for it are heading and want to go and what they see as critically important. And so you can do some gap analysis in there 
and when you eventually through discussion come up with your value set for the organization you have the ability to link it back to what you heard so this is not the executive team saying these are what the values are damn it don't question me it's this is what we heard here is how we're implementing this and it connects the people who work there to the direction you are trying to establish strategically for your organization. So yes, led by senior leadership, but they can't do it in a vacuum. HR needs to minimally support, or if you really want to, and clearly I'm not a big fan of just sending it down to HR to do like a vote on, everybody submit and we all vote because you're gonna end up somehow with Bodie McBoke face, <laughs> which, which isn't, as far as I can tell, not a value. No, no, it's, I, I think that you can come up with solid value sets, but there's stuff missing. There's a connection between leadership and the employees that is lost in that process. I haven't figured out how to assign it to HR and have it be as, as effective as it can be if you just keep it at the executives, engage HR, engage the people at the organization, and just, well, I don't even know how to finish the sentence, just embrace it em embrace the value set through leadership let them be the the example so Tate, you've mentioned several organizations and i i'm thinking of one in my head too but if an organization that you really admire has a great you know value set why can't you just copy that i'm thinking like of was it the, the oakland raiders la raiders now it's the las vegas raiders but the commitment to excellence right that was that's their value you know why can't why can't we just copy that or you know and then make that our own as an organization for example well so very little prevents you from doing something like that at least mm -hmm. uh, procedurally your value set it would be difficult to patent you can't patent it you can't trademark it you might be able to well you might be able to trademark it or copyright it but the, the issue with this, and I know a ton, especially small businesses do that. You, you, small businesses, they, they go Google something, they're like, what values does Patagonia have? Or, mm -hmm. or Chick-fil-A, or what, insert, insert name here. And, and they just start scanning what looks good, what looks good, and they pick it. Even if it is an exceptionally effective value set for that organization, the fact is that they are in a different environment than you are even if so if they're in the same industry you don't want to copy their value set because all you're doing is ensuring that you're going to have a competitor for everything you do and you won't be able to differentiate from them so you're going to get if if it's a successful organization you're copying you're going to get a very tiny fraction of that business if, if at all if you have a different leaders different people different uh, your different staff likely different geographic and competitive concerns so the reasons why they are using the values don't apply to you. Mm. You you have a different situation, different team members, assets. It doesn't work. And, and because it's not native to you, it ends up turning into, I think, what we see certainly for most small businesses, that it's just three words on a business card. It never actually means anything. And so it's it's a potentially weak to moderate sales tool and nothing else. And it ends up ultimately harming organizations more than it, it helps them because organizations that just copy it and put it on that card, 
when they do convince somebody to come work for them or come or become a customer, when they are in that situation and it comes time for uh, they get a competitive offer from another employer, that employee who is perhaps influenced by your claims of integrity and trust is going to say, none of this is real. Your your clients are going to say you weren't honest about what the features were in your in your products. You don't get to keep that business. You copied and pasted from somebody else. If they genuinely value, if they generally want those values, they're going to be more inclined to figure out where those values actually are, where you copied them from, that, than what you then stay with you and, and get an imitation. But the, the copy paste, I've never seen it work. I've, I've seen some people who, who, in fact, we talk through this with executives. We ask about what organizations you admire and why. And we talk about how they execute and what that might look like at this organization. So if you want to do the copy paste thing, don't copy the values lock stock, figure out what it is about the organization what is it they're doing? What is it that they clearly believe that's making them successful, making them stand out? Figure out what that is and then figure out how you can make that real, genuine for your own organization in your own way instead of just slapping it on the card, putting some posters up and saying, this is us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great answer. Thanks. <laughs> well, I think we could... Move on to our our fun questions that we have for you, uh, Tate. Maybe talk about how we or how you got into your role in the first place. How did I get into this role? Well, I was kind of persuaded into it. I ran a a strategic consulting firm. We we focused on communications, did branding, advertising, and a little bit of organizational work. Shut that down just before the pandemic hit. And I still, as, as I was there, I developed this concept. We call it Linden's Integrity Lens. It's this idea that organization structural integrity comes from three things. The alignment of what organizations communicate, their actions, so the quality of the product, the, the stuff that they do every day, and their beliefs and values. And I won't go into all the details, but when those three things aligned, it's an engineering term, structural integrity, and it creates structural integrity for the organization. I gave a talk about two years ago and got to speak to a group of IO psychologists, industrial and organizational psychologists, and a couple of them reached out to me, and I ended up partnering with one of them. And I think she's been a guest on your show, Brittany Eisenman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she said, I think not only does your system work outside of where you were before it works exceptionally well in my world in the in io psychology and and even the hr side of things let's give this a shot and so we did a a pilot test with an organization that was experiencing 600 percent turnover annually Mm. which is a it's a lot of turnover hiring a new an entirely new company essentially every two months and we were able to go in figure out why this was happening and and help them identify the steps involved to bringing things back into alignment. Yeah, we worked with them, I think it was supposed to be about three months. It ended up almost a year helping them to go through these steps. And and there, we're about two, a year and a half after that, and they are coming out of it. They're, they're able to see improvements. Retention is improving, morale is improving. 
Yeah, so so I am in this position because I had an idea I'd been working with. It was really effective in the communication space. You know, we, we made billions of dollars for our clients. and But I, I felt like there was something more to this than just making money through ads and brands, that we could actually make lives better for the people in the organizations, make the organizations themselves better at what they did. And I gave some talks, and somebody heard me, Brittany heard me, and said, I think we have to make this happen. This is mm. this is something the world needs. So, and I was the president of my organization previously. Brittany and I talked, and my main requirement was you cannot make me be president. So, <laughs> so I I work. I am I'm not. I guess you might call me an individual contributor. My responsibility is to bring the, my expertise to these organizations and help other people implement the mm -hmm. stuff that the system recommends. So I know you mentioned earlier that this is this this work that you're doing really involves way more than just HR that it can't just mm -hmm. rest there. But I'm sure you've still interacted with and worked with a number of HR people throughout this process in your career. What misconceptions do you feel like outsiders have when they talk and think about HR? Maybe which ones did you have that you've had dispelled? Well, yes, I completely agree. If anybody's going to have misconceptions about HR, it's me. I spent <laughs> I spent my early career as I came up through customer service, customer support, moved into management and worked for a few different Fortune 500 firms early in my management career. And I learned from my peers, and they're really clear about this, if you want to last at the organization, the best way to do that is not get noticed by HR. <laughs> not, not a very healthy way to look at it. Um, so I basically spent my first decade in the workforce hoping that HR didn't know who I was. <laughs> And the culture, and these were not particularly healthy organizations, clearly, the culture was you don't want to get called by HR because when you get called into HR, you come back with a cardboard box. <laughs> so yeah, the big misconception, wow, I think. Wow, you worked for an organization kind enough to give you a box? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got cardboard, yes. <laughs> so so I bet the, mis the big misconception is that HR only deals with hiring and firing. And it might be true in some organizations, but generally there's a whole lot more happening. But the average employee either doesn't see it or doesn't connect those things to HR. And a lot of the engagement stuff that organizations do, the team building stuff, that comes out of HR. A lot of the programs, the benefits are influenced heavily by HR. And the other stuff, I think HR, when I started up my own company years ago, about almost 18, 20 years ago, I think I, I initially thought HR is a big company thing. I, I don't need it. That said, I think I hit about six, seven people and had a holy crap moment of <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't understand how to do, if I need to do, how do I, how do I stay in compliance? How do I keep my team members? And I think it was six or seven where we started to have the first disagreements between people on staff. <laughs> I had no clue how to solve it. And so while I didn't hire a specific HR manager, I hired somebody who in their skill set, in, in their responsibilities, was responsible for handling HR um, abilities. Y yeah. It, the moment you start having people who might not be on the same page, that to me is when you start getting into, okay, we need somebody who understands how this works, how to help our people work effectively together. So really when you have employee number two. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
I, I wasn't quite that quick, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's funny. I've heard people say that, and I know this rule's been out there, and I get the logic behind it, but they say, well, you need one HR person for every 100 people. Mm. <laughs> I just think, oh, if you wait till you get to 100, <laughs> God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> yeah. you, you'll never get to 100 because they'll keep killing each other. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Um, Tate, what is the uh, the mo- most recent, and it could be HR related, uh, you know, book or podcast. It doesn't have to be, but maybe latest book that you've read or podcast you've listened to that you'd recommend to to the audience. So yeah, you're right. I don't read HR books much. So I do have, I actually have it on my desk. I read recently uh, within the last year, and I refer to it probably a couple times a month. A book mm-hmm. that you guys probably know, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. So I've got a love-hate relationship with it. It's got good insights. And I I would wager if you're an experienced HR person, you've probably already read this. If you're new, maybe not. Or in school, you might might not have read it yet. I think the challenge I had with it, my degree was philosophy. So I'm very much, every every time I look at a problem, like identify everything that doesn't work. Lencioni, this is a fictional sort of a fairy tale book. Mm. The protagonist in the book is never asked any questions that she doesn't ultimately answer and always basically knows better than everybody else who works for her. So if you can get past the fairy tale structure, there are some really great takeaways in there. But Lencioni, some of the conclusions that he comes from and the way he builds his story, it sounds like it makes sense, but it's a little bit, there's a logic problem that I had to deal with a lot that sounds like it's, it makes sense, but it doesn't. Uh, Something like, all dogs are animals, some animals are pets. Therefore, some dogs are pets, which sounds like it's true, but it's not. You can't get, you can't logically step through those. There's a bit of that that goes on where where he's got this pyramid that he builds and makes conclusions that one thing leads to the next. And a few times as he's trying to get to the next step, he does one of those a little logical fallacy thing in there that try that connects two things that really don't have the strength of connection that he says all five of the dysfunctions i absolutely agree with it's the structure so sure go read the book it's faster if you uh, just search for for the the graphic that is all over the place on the internet google it mm. five dysfunctions of a team lencioni's pyramid mm. and, and you'll get what you what what you need and and you can sort of read some background on it so i can't quite recommend the book but the the theory the theory's worth knowing about and i've seen organizations who have tried to implement the stuff they've learned in it and it's it's been helpful for them all right well given some of your comments just now about your experience with hr i think this last question will be very interesting so if you had to assign two new words and you've talked a lot today about the value and the power of words so what words starting with the letters h and r would you use to represent human resources other than the words human and resources. Okay, so I was informed in advance that you guys would ask this question. <laughs> I am a couple things. My early, when I started my organization, one of the things that I, I specialized in was short form copywriting or naming taglines, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity way back in the day to actually look at departmental names, HR being one of them, and try to figure out why the heck they were, why are they named what they're named? Are you guys aware of how, or would your listeners already know how HR, Human Resources, got its name? 
I'll bet most wouldn't. I think okay. even the younger audience members prior familiar that personnel used to be a common term. Yeah. And they've heard some of the sure. others, but the story behind it, no, I don't even know. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So could be apocryphal, but my my research, if I can remember, I think this was in the late 1800s. So business leaders back then had teams that were focused on improving the quality of materials, equipment, investments, but not worker productivity or effectiveness. So that was left to the individual worker's manager. So human resources department was created not as a resource for employees, but as a way to get workers to do more by managing humans using the same principles used for supplies and machinery. So the humans were the resource rather than resources for the humans. So it's is a bit like uh, in my brain this this links to there's an old Twilight Zone where it's the it's the to serve man where the whole thing everybody thinks it's going to be this wonderful benefit to bringing these aliens down because they're all about serving man and it turns out it's a cookbook so oh. <laughs> <laughs> to serve man wow so but you did ask so I, I struggle with the name human resources because when I see it, I think I see, I, I remember that sort of story right. about this is what it was meant to do back in the day. I still think some organizations treat it that way. It's like, how can we crack the whip harder? I don't think, mm -hmm. I don't think most organizations do that, but I do think in some sectors, some industries, they struggle. I think manufacturing is one where the way HR might interact with transient workforces, it, it's not particularly healthy, or at least it has a reputation for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, but this was a naming exercise. I used to name stuff. I think no name is going to last for very long because the way we mm -hmm. reference stuff changes. So I would say I'm going to skip H for a sec because H is a horrible word, a horrible letter to try <laughs> to work with. I, I think R is easy. Uh, so if you're okay with me being a little bit trendy, I'd go with resilience, okay. which is something that every leader can and and employee can use more of. And it's not entirely out of the question that it had come from the team responsible for people. Mm -hmm. uh, H, I don't know. Uh, H, yeah, this, this feels cheesy, but like home of resilience, helping resilience, something along those. There are so few good H words that are positive. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's where I go. I wish I could give you something better, but but that's all right. I think that's no, about that's what I got. That's good. All right. All right. Well, I I loved hearing the history of that because when I took this position down here and, and joined the team here, I put a sign outside of my office, literally a flag kind of sign like it's still a little stick and it says human resources in the in the font in the, the black font but then i took a red marker and i put an apostrophe s after the human and i told people nice. that i'm the human's resource manager i'm here to help them find answers to questions get access to things whether that's benefits whether that's even outside we we were able to help somebody get a front end alignment after they had gotten a hit a pothole and so I did some research and found out the city of Indianapolis actually has a fund where you can get reimbursed for car repairs. And so we were able to help her with that. And just so that's that's how I've taken the approach. So it's neat to hear your your story about it was not intended that way. But just with a little a little extra letter on the end there, we can completely yeah. change that. So that's great good answer. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Tate.
And thank you for all the listeners today who joined us, uh, either uh, listening or watching a discussion today. We hope that you'll all be back again. If you have any suggested topics for get or, topics or guests for future episodes, or if you would like to be a guest yourself, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at inspiredinsights at truepay.com.